half a year before I turned 16, I told my mom that I really wanted to get baptized for my 16th birthday. Cause you know, 16th birthday is like, it's kind of, it was, I thought it was going to be like super special and like, oh, I really want to do something like, like get baptized. And she said, um, well, Hannah, you don't really go to church and you don't really know God. So I think the best thing for you to do is to really sit on this, like think it over and figure out your relationship with God before you decide to take this step. I was Christian by brand, but not by faith, you know? I, I said that I believed in it and I would try to follow it, but I wouldn't, I didn't have the faith and the core belief of like, yes, Jesus died on the cross for me. I didn't, I didn't really, really believe that. I still had like the doubts of, does he even exist? Like, does he, is he actually out there? Does he hear me? All that stuff, you know? My relationship with Maddie kind of started um, just from the soccer team. One day at practice, Maddie had on a shirt that said, setting the table. And I was really curious about that because I was like, oh, what does that mean? I thought it was a ping pong reference or something. It was, you know, a table. I said, oh, it's for setting the table for more people to come in and it's for my church. Um, it's all, it's involved all around our church. We're setting the table for more people to come in, for no, more people to know God, for more people to experience the gospel. I asked her one day, hey, do you want to come to the fields with me? Do you want to practice with me? And um, it was after she asked me about my shirt and what it meant. And I was like, well, now this is like a great opportunity to introduce her to what that might look like just by the conversation of Christ and what it means to be a follower of Him, our friendship blossomed off of that. When Maddie invited me to form like a little Bible study together, it just started making a lot more sense. And whenever I had questions, I would come to Maddie and I would be like, hey, what, like, what does this mean? Like, she always had really good answers. So I thought, oh, I can keep coming to Maddie if I have questions. But more and more, I looked into it, asked questions, got answers. My faith just started blooming more and more. I was talking with my mom one day and she said, Hannah, remember that time that you said that you wanted to be baptized? Why don't you get baptized soon now that you're getting, you know, back into your faith? And I was like, that is a really good idea. And then I was talking to her a little bit more about it and she said, now, well, why don't you have Maddie do it? And I was like, that is a, an amazing idea. And so one day, I'm not sure exactly where we were. Do you remember where we were when I asked you? Was it at soccer? I think it was, <laughs> it was at, at soccer. soccer. <laughs> we just at soccer and I just said, Maddie, do you want to baptize me? <laughs> you said, you said, hey, I've never asked anyone this before. And then you're like, would you like to baptize me? And I was like, yeah. well, of course I would. I've been the least stressed I've been in a long time. Like, I am the happiest I've been in a long time. Like, I can't stress enough how much it's changed me. It just made me a more complete person and it kind of gave me reason, you know, to keep, to keep going. Maddie reaching out to me meant that I had a seat at the table. Hey, can we just thank God one more time today of just his faithfulness? You know, this is why we're doing this whole series called Humble and Hungry, because this is the heart of our Heavenly Father, uh, that He is calling every generation to His table. As a matter of fact, this series comes out of Luke chapter 14, where Jesus tells His disciples this parable. He says, you go and you invite everybody to my table. 
You invite those who are far from God. And so the good news is today, if you're here, you're watching online and you feel like God has maybe forgotten you or maybe God doesn't know your story or you've messed up, you don't have another chance, you need to know that your heavenly father knows who you are and he knows your story and he has sent his son to invite you into his family to redeem you of everything that you've done wrong and to give you a new life and a new chance. And I think Hannah's got some good theology there. Before we get baptized, it would be awesome if we knew who Jesus was first, right? You know, I think her mom is pretty wise. Like, hey, that's cool. You want to get baptized. What if you knew who it was that you were really following? And and the whole thing that we're doing right now is, yeah, we're creating more room here on our campus. And you go to tablesetter.org to hear about all the new things that God's doing. You guys have been so generous and you can celebrate and you can be a part of the generosity there. But more than generosity is this, God is calling all of us to be table setters. He's calling every single one of us to set tables for other people to know and experience God. And not only did that happen where God used Maddie to share the good news of Jesus with Hannah. When Hannah got baptized, you saw a couple people there in the pictures when she got baptized. What was cool is this. Uh, there was a student who's been coming to church here since he was in sixth grade. His name's Nathan Wheatley. He's a junior at Floyd Central. And what's cool about it is this, when he saw Hannah get baptized, he came up to Jacob Bales, one of our student pastors afterwards and said, hey, listen, it's time for me to commit my life to the Lord as well. And the next day he was baptized. And now he's a part of a life group here. And I was talking to Jacob, he goes, man, their life group is exploding. They are growing in their relationship with Jesus. And this is what we find about the heart of God. God is a humble God, but he is a hungry God to see every generation come to have a relationship with him. And today, this is what we're gonna be talking about. It really summarized in what Nathan said is that God is a God of commitment. God is a God who's committed to us, even if we're maybe not committed to him or even know what he's committed to us. Uh, Last weekend, Ephraim Smith, boy, didn't he do an incredible job last weekend (laughs) preaching? And uh, I told him like, dude, you're so good. We're gonna have to have you come back again, my man. Like you you just keep bringing. And if you didn't hear his sermon last weekend, it's about how God stands with us in our pain. And not only that, how Jesus stood with others in their pain. See, God is calling all of us not just to have this relationship with him, but to stand with others, to commit to living this life of saying, no, 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 there's somebody who is for you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hurt, you have an answer in Jesus. Now, I know for some of you already, you just heard that word commitment and you you broke out in a sweat. You're like, oh boy, right? You know, oh, commitment, you know, because we don't, we just struggle with commitment, don't we? You know, this is, we can just be honest. Hannah said it during our communion time. Boy, it's sometimes it is a struggle to commit our lives to the Lord. I know for Ruthie and I, one of the things, our favorite places to shop is a place called the Zappos Outlet in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. And here's why, everything's 50% off. And uh, yeah, I'm a cheapskate a little bit, all right? But here's what's so cool about the store at Zappos Outlet, what it is is this. Every shoe that gets returned from zappos.com goes to this outlet, and so it's 50% off. So that's the whole warehouse. It's shoes that people have worn because this is what Zappos has clued in on. You know how they get commitment and repeat customers? When you order a pair of shoes, they already give you a UPS shipping tag. So they know this. If you don't like your pair of shoes, you can send them back immediately. And here's their deal. They'll let you send back a pair of shoes up to a year, no questions asked. Here's what they know. They're gonna get your commitment if they lower the bar of commitment. You don't like it, send it back. I know for a lot of us, we sign up at the beginning of a year, you know, I see, I drive by and I see Planet Fitness, you know, at the beginning of the year, no commitment fees. 
And I'm like, well, how much is the commitment fee? It was only $10, right? But this is what they promote, no commitment. And here's what we know. If there's no commitment, we're like, oh, I'm in. Because, boy, I'm afraid of commitment. We struggle with commitment. But here, isn't this interesting? As much as we struggle with commitment, isn't it true that we demand commitment from others? As much as we're not good at commitment, we demand it from one another. Little uh, kind of just a, a neat moment. My son Carter started playing coach pitch baseball and I get to be uh, a coach. Man, it's just like herding cats out there, right? Uh, but we practice on Monday nights. And what's so cool about it is this, we've just kind of made it like some man time. So I get to go there and I get to help coach his team with some other coaches. And then afterwards we head to Taco Bell because that's the man thing to do, right? You play baseball and you eat Taco Bell, Carter. This is the way of the Lord. And uh, and what's happened is this, you know, they've got the new thing and I'm a sucker for any of those new things at Taco Bell. And uh, the new thing is the quesalupa, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, and I get there and I'm so excited about this thing, sold out. And my heart is this, Taco Bell, where's your commitment to the quesalupa, right? And I'm going, here's the deal. I might struggle with commitment, but when I walk in the room, You better deliver on your commitment. And see, this is the tension that we face as followers of God. A lot of you, I know today, some of you watching online today, you know this. You are seeing that story of Hannah and you go, no, I know I need to commit my life to the Lord. The only problem is this. Man, I struggle with committing. And if I don't do a good good enough job committing, what will God do to me? And how will God, if I do give him my life, will he actually follow through? Will he be faithful to me? Here's what I want us to let you know. This is what we're going to find today in Luke chapter 23. And here's the whole story of scripture is this. You may want to write this down if you're taking notes on your phone or journal. Any of this stuff is this. Commitment never begins with us. Commitment always begins with God. Man, commitment never begins with us. It always begins with God. Matter of fact, God is a God. And this is something that you'll understand theologically. You'll see all through the scripture is this. God is a God of covenant, not contract. Today, we deal with contracts. I'm going to do this. You're going to pay this. And if you break the contract, I'll see you in court. That's how we deal with life. The only thing is this. When we begin to look at scripture, we find God being a covenantal God, meaning this. God is going, I am your God. I am with you. I will deliver you no matter what you do. I am your God. You will experience consequences if you live outside of my way for your life. But I'm telling you, no matter what you do, I am for you. This is why Jesus, when he was sacrificed on the cross, it was over Passover weekend. Matter of fact, yesterday was Passover, the national holiday. Because what happened is this, it was Passover in Exodus when God raised up Moses and said, I am freeing my people Israel to be my people. And so Moses, I want you to go and confront Pharaoh because I'm calling my people out of Egypt. I'm calling my people out of slavery and the Israelites had no way out But God, through his generosity and his commitment, provided a way out. Now, here's what happened the night that the Israelites were freed. They had a meal. They had a Passover meal. And they would have lamb. And what God said to do is this, put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost so when the death angel would come by, you would not lose the firstborn son. But it was the blood of the lamb that covered them to set them free. And now today we have the blood of the lamb on the cross that doesn't just set the Israelites free, but sets all of humanity free when we place our hope in Jesus. See, God always says this, it doesn't begin with your commitment, it begins with my commitment to you. 
And the more you and I understand his commitment to us, here's what's going to happen. The more you know how committed God is to you, the more you're going to grow in your commitment. God never asks you to commit first to him, and then we'll see if he'll be committed to you. God says, I am committed to you. I'm committed to rescuing you. I'm committed to redeeming you. I'm committed to making you new in Christ. And so now every decision that you and I make comes out of God's commitment. This is what we find in Luke chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open this up and follow along. It'll be up on the screen or you can open your version Bible app on your phone. But what we've been walking through is Luke chapter 23 and we've been seeing God's commitment to us. And here's what we want to see. Here's what God accomplished through his commitment on the cross of Jesus. It says this in verse 44 of Luke chapter 23. It says, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three hours there was darkness over the land while Jesus was on the cross. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the centurion, who was a Roman soldier, who had nailed Jesus to the cross, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. What everybody was watching was this, how Jesus was committed. And sometimes when we see Jesus' commitment to the cross, sometimes the cross can feel like defeat. It doesn't always look like Jesus won when it says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Here's what I want us to see today, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Too many times this is what will happen. We won't commit our lives to Jesus because we really don't know how committed and what he's done for us. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. This is what we find in this passage is this. This is how Jesus, what, this is what he accomplished is this. He accomplished victory in our darkest moments on the cross. That's what the passage says, that all the darkness came over. The weight of sin was there on the cross on Jesus. In the darkest moments, this is what happened. Victory came through the cross. See, this is why we have to pause and look at what Jesus did on the cross, because if we're not careful, we'll miss what Jesus is doing. In his death, he brings us victory over our sin. He brings us life. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, this is what Matthew records going on in the temple. When it says that the temple curtain was torn in two, here's what happened in the temple. The, the temple was set up this way. They had a holy of holies where the presence of God was that? And you would come to the temple and you would worship and you would offer sacrifices for your sin. And so you would experience the forgiveness of God and the, the presence of God was there in the temple. And here's what would happen. The chief high priest would go in once a year into the holies of holies. As a matter of fact, they would tie a rope to his ankle. So in case he did something wrong, they could pull him out. How would you like that job, right? Hey, what are you tying to my leg? Just a rope. Why? We'll tell you later. Don't worry, man. You know, but it's this whole thing. What they would go, he would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year because God's presence was so good. And on the cross, what happens is this. When Jesus dies, the Holy of Holies, the curtain in the Holy of Holies, it tears in two. 
Matthew says it this way, Matthew 27, that it tore from top to bottom. Meaning this, God was saying, no longer is my presence just going to be confined to the temple. I am bringing a victory in your darkest moment that's not just in the temple, but now my victory will be for the entire world. See, this is the table that God is setting for you and I. It's victory in our darkest moments. It's no longer you trying to be committed enough to overcome all of your failures, but all of your failures being overcome by the cross of Christ. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, you and I, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might, listen to this word, destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. See, this is what the cross was doing. This is why you and I can commit our life. He was destroying the power of death. He was putting to death, death on the cross. And to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Paul says it this way, for the wages of sin is what? Anybody remember what he says? Death. See, that's what sin brought into the world. Did you know this? You and I were never created to experience death in our life. This is why death is so hard for us. God did not make the world with death at the beginning. God made the world for you and I to experience relationship with him. When he made Adam and Eve, not only did he make them for relationship with him, he said, I'm giving you dominion over the entire world. I want you to go and rule over it. You have authority. You have relationship. Just don't eat of the one tree. And like a good five-year-old kid, what did Adam and Eve do? Right, they go and eat of the one tree. God's going, hey, I have a new life for you. See, this is what we find in the garden is this. It's not just that sin is doing something wrong. You know what sin's also not doing? It's not doing what's right. Adam and Eve in the garden, this is what they messed up. They messed up with their vocational calling. God said, I had a new way for you to live. And when they refused to live the ways of God, we experience sin and pain. It's what you and I experience when we choose not to allow God's ways to rule in our life. But here's the good news of Jesus. He is destroying him who holds the power of death so that we would be free, so all of us who are held in slavery by the fear of death would find victory in Jesus. So now as followers of God, here's what God is saying in our life. You don't need to live a fear of dying. Doesn't mean that we won't go through hardship and pain, but here's the thing, in the midst of your hardship and pain, you have hope. That God is accomplishing something. See, this is what it means to be table setters. When we say it's table setters, this is what we mean. God has called us to do a work in our daily life, to serve one another, to be his people. In Exodus 19, God calls Israel, he says this, you are my royal priesthood, you are my holy nation, a people declaring my praises to the world. And Peter says this in 1 Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he uses that language and he says, church, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to me to declare my praises to the world. That God is saying, I have a job for you to do. I've freed you. Don't live in fear of death, but live in your vocation. Live in the way that I have for you. Yesterday I came in and one of the coolest things I saw here when I came in was this. Uh, today we have a sixth grader, Cademan, who are running our lights for us in the back right now. Can we give Cademan a big hand, dude? I love, and this is what I love about it. Now don't hit the blackout button, my man. All right, keep the lights on for me. But this is what I love. I love coming into our gathering going, there's a sixth grader, setting the table for the entire church. 
People embracing their calling to say, God, you didn't just save me from my sin. God, you have saved me from my sin and you've called me back to my vocation. You've called me not to live in fear, but you've accomplished this on the cross so that I can live free of my fear. You see, did you know that's what the cross was accomplishing that for you? Matter of fact, couple, last past couple of weeks, I've been loving this. Uh, my dad, who's our teaching pastor here, uh, he came here in 1999. We transitioned a couple years ago. When I became the lead pastor, he became our teaching pastor. And now here's what's happened. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, a bunch of people think he's retired and he's not retired. Like he's still on staff. And uh, what has happened is a bunch of area pastors and pastors across the country have called him like, hey, would you mentor me? And he's like, Sure. And what's going to be cool is he'll turn 67 this October. And we've been talking over the past couple of months. You know, I'm like, he's going to preach for us a couple of weeks. And he's almost like busier than ever before, mentoring and mentoring. And I said, Dad, I said, I think you're going to have more influence over the next 20 years of your life than maybe your entire ministry career. And we began to dream a little bit. And what we're going to do in a couple of weeks is this. We're going to hold an event. We'll probably do this a couple of times a year. And it's going to be called Finishing Well. And it's going to be for people here in our congregation in the late 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, who maybe you retired early. And here's what we're finding. I love one of these quotes. I heard a pastor said, it said this. He said, if you're not dead, God's not done. Going, if you're not dead, man, God's not done in your life. See, this is what the victory of the cross means. Jesus wasn't just dying for our sins. He was going, I'm setting you free because I have work for you to do. This is why Paul says when you become a Christian, the old is gone and the new is here and you and I are now a part of the new creation. See, the church is made for sixth graders to set the table. And it's made for 66-year-olds to set the table for the next generation to know. See, the cross doesn't just save you. The cross gives you your vocation. The beauty of it is this. We see him tearing the curtain, but we also see Jesus praying something. And when he prays this, when he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, what you see Jesus doing in this moment is this. He's saying, I am giving us a new way to live. I'm giving you a new way to live. What king says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit? Most kings in the past and kings today, this is how we live. Or even if we believe we're the king of our own life, this is what we say. God, I'll take it from here. And the king of all creation, the king of all redemption says this. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What he's saying in that moment is, God, I am allowing you to hold my life. God, I'm going to let you Lead. It might be painful, it might be scary, but God, I'm gonna let you lead. And what we find on the cross is this, Jesus gave us a new way to live. So now every day you and I get to be praying, Father, into your hands today, I commit my spirit. That word spirit literally means psyche. It's your thoughts, it's your guts, it's your heart, it's your core, it's your identity, it's your work. God, today, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You lead me, God. You've given me victory over my darkest moments. And so because I can trust you with my past, I can trust you with my future. I love one of the famous quotes is this. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Father, into your hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Well, let's be honest. We have a fear of placing our lives into other people's hands, don't we? 
This is why I'm a firm believer that our parking lot here at Northside is the largest driver's ed in Southern Indiana. Every day of the week, we come out of the office, and I'm like, why is that car stopped at, like, you know, around here, it'll say stop on different things, and I'm like, nobody actually stops at those, at least I don't, right, you know, and, you know, just driving around, I'm like, why is that car stopped, and I'll drive by, you know, and then what I'll see is a freaked out parent in the passenger seat, like, talking to their kid, and, and all this other stuff, and here's what the parents know, is this, I'm not going to trust my, my life into my kid's hands out on the road or on 65, we're going to go to Northside's parking lot and learn how to drive, because if you hit something in that parking lot, you don't deserve to drive, right? You know, and that's just kind of the way it works because I know as parents, man, we're, we're afraid to put our lives into other people's hands. Matter of fact, I remember the, one of the scariest times where I, I didn't realize I had put my life in my dad's hands. We were coming back from Bible college my freshman year and he had come back and to pick me up. We were driving back and it snowed eight inches as we're driving back. And uh, what happened is we're driving on 74 West and it was so, so much snow that could only clear one lane of the highway. And so the left lane was just covered with snow. You couldn't drive and we're driving like 30, 40 miles an hour and we come by an overpass and this car came down like this and dad just, he sitting there driving and I'm, I'm not paying attention. He goes, don't you do it. I'm like, I'm just sitting here. You know, he sees what's happening. He's like, don't you do it. And what happened is he could see this car was going to try to shoot the gap and get in front of us on the snow. Sure enough, the car guns it. Soon as he guns it, the car goes sideways and starts coming at us like a missile. Not us, me, right? And I'm in the passenger seat. This car's coming right at me and we see it. And in the, just a nick of a moment, dad just goes, here we go. And he whips the car into the ditch and he floors it. I'm like, I thought you were a pastor, man. You know, Andretti, I'm not lying. You can, dad will verify you this. This happened at the Jeff Gordon Boulevard overpass, right? Outside of that, he channeled his inner Jeff Gordon, whips it into the ditch, fishtails all over. Then we pull it back up on the road and we just ride like this. <laughs> In the words of the theologian, Tommy Boy, that was, say it with me, awesome. We just kind of drove paralyzed for the next mile or two. And every car that passed us was like, yeah, man. Yeah. We're like, you know, we're just freaking out. There's those moments you don't realize that you've placed your hands into somebody else's hands and it freaks us out. This is why I think a lot of times we hold tight to our life because we're afraid to place our lives in somebody else's hands. But I think if we're honest, especially with what's going on today in our world, we are more advanced technologically than we've ever been. And we're richer. We're the richest nation in the history of humanity. And with all of the events, it's easy to say, humanity is broken, isn't it? See, the problems occur in our world when we start taking hold of our life instead of saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, our king is saying this, this is the way you get to live life in victory over your darkest moments and a new way to live no matter what you and I face. Your heavenly father says, remember, you can commit your life to me because I'm committed to you. I'm your covenant father. I'm your loving God. I'm the one who tore the curtain. I'm the one who's releasing my presence. I'm the one who's chasing Hannah down. 
I'm the one who's calling Cademan. I'm the one who's raising up generations. God, this I truly believe, God is raising up men and women to say, full of the Holy Spirit, we are going to invest our lives well for the rest of our lives because Father, into your hands we have committed our spirit. One of the greatest prayers you could pray is that. It changes everything. But here's the deal for us, this is why we need one another is this, because we struggle with that. And, and actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul planted the church in Corinth, people became Christians, but then this was their temptation. Okay, I've given my life to Christ, but I'm going to hold on to different things. And this is what was happening in Corinth. People said, I'm going to give my life to Christ, but I'm just going to sleep with whoever I want. Oh, I'll be there at church, Paul. Don't worry. I'm there, but I'm just kind of going to do whatever I want to do. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, man, there's some crazy whacked out stuff in the church. And Paul has to remind them that, hey, when we become Christians, our lives have been placed in his hands. Not just our past, but our present and our future. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He reminds them of God's commitment to them. He says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Then when we become followers of him, we're going, all of us are followers of you, God. Every single part of us. And he says, and because of that, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And as soon as we hear flee from sexual immorality, we're like, Paul, we're trying, man. We're trying to be good people, but do you know how much we're bombarded? You know how much Satan tempts me? I'm trying. Listen to what he says. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember, God has committed to you and I first. He's not just asking us to flee from sexuality. What he's saying is, remember, your body, when you become a follower of Jesus, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, his presence, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You didn't earn it. You received the Spirit. And then he says this, you are not your own. But you were bought at a price. So therefore, honor God with your body. Because God has committed to you. Because God has given you his spirit. You and I, as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with temptation, this is why we need church. This is why we need life groups. This is why I need brothers and sisters in my life that are praying for and encouraging and walking with me. Because this is what I know. The temptation is always going to be, okay, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Okay, now, God, I'm going to take it back. And what we find on the cross is Jesus saying, I have a new way for us to live. It's not only just victory over our darkest, and it's a new way to live, but this is what I love about Jesus. Because some of you are going, whoa, Nate, man, that summarizes me. I've taken all control of my life. And what we find is this. On the cross, Jesus accomplished a chance for all of us to change. For all of us to change, for every single one of us to have a new start. This is what it says. Not only did he tear the curtain and not only Jesus says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Right after that, it said when he had said this, he breathed his last. And right after this, it said the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. 
I mean, look what happens there at the cross. As soon as Jesus breathes his last breath, the first breath is a Roman soldier, a pagan, a man who killed Jesus, begins to praise God. This is unbelievable. But this is how committed your heavenly father is to his world. Think about it for this, think about it for a moment. After Jesus breathed his last, the first breath was praise back to God. Worship is always in response to who God is. Worship is always saying, God, because you have come after me, God, I can come after you. And this centurion in this moment, a man who was far from God, because he saw Jesus on the cross, his life began to change. This is the good news of the cross, that no matter how far you feel from God, no matter how wretched you are, no matter how many things you made, here's what happens. When you begin to see Jesus, your life begins to change. This is the beauty of the cross. This is what Jesus was accomplishing. And not only for the centurion, this is what it said. It said, and when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. Meaning this, when they beat their breast, this was a full of life of regret. They're like, wait a second, what did we just do? What did we just do? See, it's at the cross that a lot of times we feel conviction. Here's a big difference. Sometimes when we feel convicted, we mistake it for condemnation. Big difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction, when you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, like, hey, that might not be right, or you may need to apologize, or you may need to confess that to the Lord. Conviction, here's what we need to know. Conviction always leads to good. Because if God convicts you of something, he's going, you weren't made to live that way, you weren't made to carry that, you need to confess that so your life can be set free. Condemnation is of Satan. That's why Paul says, if you are in Christ, there is no more condemnation for you. Condemnation is the way that Satan wants to trap you. Condemnation says this, you've messed up and only you are the one who can get yourself free of this. Conviction says, oh, I've messed up. But Jesus, because of your cross, you are the one who can lead me out of this. See, at the cross, this is the beauty that all of us can begin to change. Not because of our commitment, but because of God's commitment. Well, how do we practice this? How do we begin to live this out? Just two things I want to share with us today that begins to allow us to grow in God's commitment for us. We know he's committed to us. How do we grow in our commitment for, to him? Two things I want to share from this passage. First one is this. We need to begin to pray the scriptures. Some of you are like, boy, Nate, that sounds pretty Bible 101. You know what Jesus prayed on the cross when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? Did you know that was Psalm 31, verse 5? Jesus, in his most painful moment, prayed scriptures. See, this is why it's not just, oh, you better have quiet time with God or else God's not going to love you. You know why we read the Bible? Because the more we read the Bible, the more we become aware of God's commitment to us. And the more I become aware of God's commitment to me, the more my life begins to go, God, you are so committed to me, I can trust you with every area of my life. Matter of fact, this is what I love about Psalm 31, verse five. Jesus quotes this on the cross. I didn't realize this until I started studying this passage, but most Jewish families, before they went to bed every night, quoted Psalm 31, verse five. It was kind of like this, not like a nursery rhyme, but it was kind of like this evening prayer. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It's what David prayed here in Psalm 31. 
When he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit, he says this, redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In verse seven, it says this, and I will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and you knew the anguish of my soul. Do you know that God sees your pain today? And he knows the anguish of your soul. He knows what you're going through. And he promises to be with you. And he promises to lead you forward. Here was the deal. Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, you know what he quoted? Scripture. Quoted Deuteronomy. You know what Jesus quoted on the cross a couple of times? The Psalms. Maybe a great discipline for you this week is just to begin to read a psalm a day. And when there's a line that sticks out, you begin just to pray that back to God. This morning, I just went back to Psalm 31, just soaked on Psalm 31. Would write a verse out and just would begin to write some things out back to God. Okay, God, I'm going to pray this back to you. God, you've been committed to me, so today I can be committed to you. Second thing, though, we find in this passage that Jesus says that, that is pointing us today is this. Not just to pray the scriptures, but to really see Jesus for who he really is. Too many times... People think we know Jesus. We begin to go, oh yeah, I bet this is who he is. And sometimes if we're not careful, matter of fact, this is what begins to happen as Christians. We begin to make Jesus into whoever we want him to be. Uh, there's a phrase that's come out as many studies have come out about people who have been Christians, about people who have left the faith and what's going on in Christianity. There's this phrase that I was studying, and, and this is the phrase. It's, they say that a lot of times this is what's happening within Christianity. People are, are no longer actually committing to Christ. This is what they call it. They said they're practicing moralistic, therapeutic deism. I went, huh? All right, grab, grab a dictionary for a moment. But they said this is what's happening. Instead of Christians actually living with their lives committed to the Lord because he's committed to them, we just begin to practice moralistic therapeutic deism, which means this. Moralistic means I'm good. I don't need the cross because I'm good. And not only am I good, I can solve my own issues. I'll do my own therapy. And then we'll begin to lead, lead a deistic life, which means this. It's not that we don't deny God but we don't actually believe he's involved in our life. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Question for us today, whose hands have we committed our spirit to? Whose hands have we placed our life in? See, here's what began to happen that day. And for the past 2,000 years, the mark of Christianity is this. Christians, no matter what they go through, living out the commitment that God has made to them. Okay, God, today, my life, my situation, I'm committed to you. What do you need to place in his hands today? Because commitment doesn't begin with us. Commitment always begins with God. If you would, would you bow your heads with me real quick? I want to pray for us. This is a spiritual discipline that I like to practice. It's a discipline that the early church practiced. 
And this is what I want us to do, just to practice this idea, not just this idea of hearing about committing our lives and our spirits to our Heavenly Father, but here's what I want to invite you to do. If you would, would you just put your hands open and rest them on your knees? Just extend your hands open. It's a spiritual discipline that early Christians would do, people have done for years and years, and what it would do is this. This is just a symbolic way. Maybe you need to pray this way this week. But as a way of saying, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Just right now, what is it that you are holding on to? Right now, what is it that you are clinging to that you need to say, God, I have been committed to this. But I'm committing it to you. Just right now, begin to talk to your Father. God, there's a lot of heavy things that we're carrying. There's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anger. A lot of worry, a lot of bitterness. And yet, Jesus, you lead the way. Because, Jesus, you always committed to us first. And so, Father, right now, we pray that today, with open hands, we wouldn't just release the things to you that we are carrying. Father, today we would receive your grace. That we would allow your Holy Spirit to lead our way. And God, we just say thank you. Thank you for right now, for those who are watching online, for those who are in this room. God, for those of us who, God, we desperately need you. That we're not pleading for your attention. But we recognize in this moment that you have always been committed to us. You have always been committed through the cross to restore and reconcile everything that is broken in this world. And so Jesus, today, we say into your hands, we commit our spirit. Jesus, thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for leading the way. And we pray all of this in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. May you go in his faithfulness today. God bless you guys. We'll see you on Easter.